0: Hear now the word of the Lord, as it is found in the book of 2 Chronicles. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marishah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephatha, at Marishah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are God, let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much
1: spoil. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha king of Israel went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord in the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ion, Dan, Avomayim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building. And with them he built Geba in Mitzpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the thirty ninth year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. This concludes the reading of God's word. May he bless it unto our lives.
2: Do you do when you don't know what to do? Where do you go when life gets tough? Who do you put your trust and hope in. in other words, who fills the role of God in your life? Our culture would tell you that you should look within yourself. That you should put your head down and get it done. That you should resolve to do better and make it happen. The God of our culture is more often than not, ourselves. There is no more broadly celebrated quality in our culture than the ability to solve one's own problems and get things done. It seems like all of our hope rests on our own abilities or on the ability of other individuals to accomplish things. If I get the right job, then I can do things for God. If I figure this issue out, then I can achieve my potential. If I just find the one, then I'll be able to focus on God. If I vote this way, then all of my spiritual and social concerns will be addressed. We think that our connections and our accomplishments can provide the lasting comfort, security and purpose that many of us desire. Today, I want to look at three stories from the history of Judah. I want to look at three stories from the history of Judah. <laughs> Two from the reign of King Asa, and one from the reign of the king Jehoshaphat. And in these stories, we see the king embroiled in a conflict, facing an enemy whom he cannot hope to imagine to overcome. In the first episode, which Cam read for us, we see King Asa at battle against the Ethiopian army coming against him from the south. And he is outnumbered almost two to one from what the writer of Chronicles tells us. And Asa cries out to God, And we're told that the Lord defeats the army before him. And not only that, but the following verses go on to detail that this victory is not just a victory over this particular army, but over all of their supporters in the region as well. Fast forward two chapters in a few years, which is what Ben read for us. We see Asa in a very similar situation. The king of Israel now has come against him from the north. After years and years of Judah growing in prosperity due to Asa's religious reforms, the king of Israel decides that's enough. And he moves in to Ramah to prevent anyone from coming and going from Jerusalem. It's a siege. And you would think that Asa would remember. You think he would remember what happened against the Ethiopians. But he doesn't. Instead, he turns to the king of Syria, taking money from the temple, sending it up to him and saying, break your covenant and join me. So the king of Syria invades Israel from the north, and the Israelite troops withdraw from Judah. Asa's plan works. He gets exactly what he wanted. No more Israel in his territory. But then he is called out by the prophet Hanani, who says that by relying on his own man-made political alliance and not on God, Asa forgot something. Asa forgot that God wants to be a part of his life and support him. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth to strongly support those whose hearts are committed to him. But rather than recognize his error... Asa decides to throw Hanani in prison and begin inflicting cruelties on the people of Israel. And this refusal to rely on God will continue throughout his reign until he eventually dies of a foot disease. And even in that lowest moment, we are told he does not seek the Lord. So Asa dies... And his son Jehoshaphat becomes king. And several years into Jehoshaphat's reign, we are told that he is in a very similar situation to those two that his father faced. An army from Moab and Ammon have come against Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat has a choice Will he follow his father's earlier example or his later example? Will he trust God, or will he trust military might and political alliances? And I don't think that this similarity is just some sort of coincidence. This is a theme in the life of the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It's a theme in the life of all of God's people. Where will the kings of Judah, where will we place our trust? And this is the question that Jehoshaphat is faced with. Is he going to trust in God or not? In 2 Chronicles 20, this is his response. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friends. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before you. Your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you And Jehoshaphat receives a response from a prophet to this prayer, and he is assured that the Lord is going to fight on his behalf. When he gets to the battlefield, he discovers that all of his enemies have turned against each other, and there is none left. Pretty similar to when Asa called out to God. And upon their return from the battlefield, it says, they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God came On all the kingdoms of the countries, when they heard that the Lord is against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Three scenes in the history of Judah. Two kings in conflict on three separate occasions. And in all three, Judah is preserved. The immediate result is a win. The common difference is that when the kings trust God, they find lasting rest and peace. They begin religious reforms. They see God work in their situations. They grow to trust him and they give him praise. But when Asa forgets this, when he forgets and refuses to trust in God, he is reprimanded and then spirals downward... Distancing himself from what God wants to do in his life and in the life of his people. What defines the end of Ace's reign is what I'm afraid has unfortunately come to define much of our culture as well. A severe lack of reliance on God and a hesitance to call out to him in prayer. But these three episodes suggest that prayer is everything. Not because it brings about military victories for the king. Those were attainable regardless. Even in the instance where Asa refused to trust God, he won. He got what he wanted. But because when kings pray, they learn to trust God and they see him work in their situations. Because ultimately, we see in these stories that learning to pray is not about learning how to get things to go our way. It's about learning to ask and trust God to have His. And Jehoshaphat models this. In his prayer, we see that he turns his attention towards God, he recalls God's character, he presents his situation in request, and then he surrenders. He gives the situation up to God to have his way with it, trusting in his unchanging presence and character in his situation. So what's keeping us from praying like this? Four things come to mind from my own experience. The first is that prayer is simply unfamiliar to us. For many of the people here, even those of us who grew up in church, prayer is not a central part of the faith that we have grown up with. For many of us, for however long, faith has meant singing songs, reading our Bibles, going on mission trips, listening to sermons. But unlike centuries and centuries of Christians before us, prayer is not a central part of most of our devotional lives or corporate worship services. So it makes good sense that prayer would not be our go-to in times of trouble. Secondly, and perhaps of greatest difficulty for me, is pride. Prayer requires me to admit that God knows better than I do. It requires me to acknowledge that there are some problems that I can't solve. It requires me to look weak in front of God and others and begins to chip away at the carefully crafted identity of accomplishment and strength that I have worked so hard to build up. And this goes along with a third barrier to prayer, which is control, and needing to release a situation to God that ultimately we want to be able to call the shots in. We don't want God to have his way in the situation. We want to have our way. And so we don't pray. But lastly... I think that many of us have come to mistrust God. We become disillusioned with the concept of prayer because we have prayed and not seen or understood how God has responded. We assume that he either cannot or will not answer our prayers out of a lack of either power or desire. Twice in the last two weeks, we've heard messages on the prophet Habakkuk, which is maybe more than most of us have heard in our entire lives. But what Lauren and Patty reminded us in their messages is that unlike the prayers of Jehoshaphat and Asa, Habakkuk's prayer is not answered with victory, but with defeat. Yet in this prayer, Habakkuk is comforted not by the solution to his problem, but by God's presence and unchanging character in the midst of it. When Habakkuk cries out in prayer, he does not get what he wants, but he does get God. And we are assured throughout Scripture that when we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. In Matthew 7, we are assured of God's intentions That he's a good and loving father who will not give us a stone if we ask for bread, but who has our best interests in hearts. And yet, we are afraid to pray. When we approach the all-powerful and loving God, we don't always get the answer we expect. And sometimes God's answer will seem like no answer at all. But if we trust him and if we will draw near to him, we will find that he is present and at work. Sometimes I think our refusal to ask it all, as in the case of Asa, means that we not only miss out on witnessing God intervene in ways beyond our imagination, but we also step back and say, I don't want you to intervene in any situation. I don't want... To see you work in my life. Not here and not anywhere else. But when we come to God in prayer, we're not just coming to someone, some big cosmic problem solver who just makes things the way we want. We're drawing near to something so much better. A dear friend and a powerful ally. Who desires to show us that he is near and that he loves us in good times and in bad. If we look at the lives of Asa and Jehoshaphat, we, and we look at our own lives, we see that there are problems that we can solve on our own. We can get a lot of what we want by our own power, but we cannot ultimately get the peace. And the power that comes from being in the presence of God. But when we lean on him, when we surrender ourselves before him, we see that God is present. And he is trustworthy. That he works in all situations and desires to support us. Even in the times that break our hearts in his so that he can bring us into a deeper knowledge of his love and power and salvation. And that's what the prayers of Jehoshaphat and Asa are about. Not military victories, but knowing God and seeing him at work in their lives. If we'll join God in prayer, we will cry with God and we will rejoice with God. We will question God and be amazed by God. In the story of Jehoshaphat, we see the type of answer that Asa forgot. And we have to ask ourselves, do we want to see God intervene in our lives? Will we take advantage of the opportunity we have to meet God when we pray? Even if that means being disappointed when we don't understand his response. Because when we bring our hopes and our fears, our desires and our plans before God in prayer, we don't know what we'll get. But we are promised that we will get him. God Almighty, our friends, at work and presence in our lives, reminding us that he can be trusted And helping us no longer rely on ourselves, but reminding us of the promises that he gives us, of his unchanging character and presence in our lives. Now you might be saying, Ben, this all sounds all great and spiritual, but I'm just not comfortable with prayer. It's not my thing. You might be unsure if you even believe that prayer is something that works or is even worthwhile at all. You've had too many prayers that you haven't seen answers to. Maybe these stories stirred something inside you and you think, this, this is what's been missing. Well, regardless of where you're at in prayer, the office of the chapel And the resident chaplain team wants to be on that journey with you, to explore prayer by your side. And over the next four weeks, we are having a special opportunity to explore prayer together. Starting this Sunday, our team is going to be meeting at 6.30 p.m. in the upstairs chapel. And we'll meet there every Sunday for the next several weeks. We have an opportunity here to explore prayer, to learn about prayer, and to practice prayer. Familiarizing ourselves with specific prayer disciplines and reflecting on how prayer is actually impacting how we walk with God. And if this is something you're interested in, I want to invite you to join us as we draw near to God in prayer. After the service, myself and some of the chaplains will be available in front of the chapel office to talk with you, give you more information, and pray with you about drawing near to God through prayer. So now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. You are sent out to love to pray, and to serve.